Uh, this is Matthew chapter 25, and uh, I'm going to read it to you. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For the five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five who were wise had enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All of the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Jesus, we pray that you would help me. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. What a doozy, what a doozy, what a doozy. Parables. We said a couple weeks ago, Jesus often spoke in parables. He said because of all the thousands of people that would come out to hear, many people didn't really want to listen anyway. And so he would speak these stories so that people that were really trying to hear what Jesus would say, they'd kind of lean in. And uh, so this story is figurative in nature, but it is designed to explain the kingdom that you've not yet seen that he knows very well. And so uh, Christ is trying to share his heart. And he would share stories like this over and over and over again. In fact, this parable uh, could probably be said with four or five different parables that Christ would say. So it concerns me greatly as I lean into it and think about what all is happening in it. First of all, uh, he'd start off with the first point that I want to have, want to make here today is that we make sure as people of Christ, as his sons and daughters, that we live pure. This is an interesting concept in today's culture. Live pure. Well, the first verse would start off by in Matthew 25, 1, by saying the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids. I really like reading out of the NLT version. Uh, it just makes sense to me. I, I like reading it that way. But actually, if you read just about any other translation, they would translate the word bridesmaids to the 10 virgins. 10 virgins. It makes me think about a lot of things. It's funny uh, because in the world that we live in today, a virgin for the day of a bride of wedding is kind of um, weird and odd. I was talking with another friend that attends our church, and recently they were in, uh, he was in a relationship. And uh, he, was, he said he was in this relationship with another believer from another community. And the female was asking him why it means so much to him that he preserves his virginity 
for the wedding day. Another believer pressuring him before. Ah, uh, and I I think it's because if man we live so much in the world that it's hard to understand kingdom, but we're supposed to be in kingdom, influencing the world. And so what's happened is, is we're bringing worldly principles into the church and trying to define God rather than meeting with God and letting him define who he is to us through his word. And, and, and it's just things are getting backwards and things are getting muddy and things are, you know, that's just old time thinking, you know. But this story is about a groom and a bride remaining pure. And so it's about 10 virgins came to meet. The bridegroom. Now, I want you to understand that the as as we would dive into this story, that uh, the story of the bridegroom and the bride is really the whole story of Scripture, starting in the Old Testament, even in, in through the through the prophets with Isaiah and a lot of these things. They would prophesy the day that the bridegroom comes for his bride. We would read about this in Songs of Solomon again and again. I don't know if you're aware of it, but we, the church, are, is Jesus' bride. We are his great reward for all that he's done and all that he's fought and all that he's earned. He craves the day that we would be presented to him. And we groan for the day that he returns. So dudes, this is kind of a weird illustration for you, but... The scripture is trying to present an imagery to you that we're supposed to be blameless and spotless and pure before Christ. Now, we would read this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, and it's really talking about the context of marriage, husband and wives. But listen to this. He said he did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. I want you to know that that's the whole concept is that Jesus is coming back for a pure bride, a spotless bride. What that means is without sin. Imagine a bride with ketchup on her dress. Oh man, she, whoo. Gail just came back from doing six weddings us last week up in Michigan. Gail, can you imagine the meltdown? Uh, that would have been us trying to say, fix that one real quick, you know? But this is the true story is that one of the great reasons why shame happens in our lives is because we can't hide the faults that lie within us. And as a culture, we've learned to hide our own nakedness or hide our things that make us, we don't want people to see this or know this about ourselves. It's our spot, our blemish, our hang-up. Christ loves you, and he's trying to restore you, but he is marrying you as you are. I'm going to come back to this later. The first thing is be pure. I see this with these virgins. We are supposed to be the virgins, and I want to make sure you understand that Christ can restore any kind of impurity in our lives. And so uh, I don't ever want you to feel like, oh, I messed up. And trust me, you, the pa I'm a good pastor for this scenario. Uh, there's not many people that have messed up more than me in my life. And the fact that God can still fix me. If, he can, if there's hope for me, trust me, you're all right. Now, number two, point number one is, is, is live pure. Point number two in this story uh, for me is stay alert. 
Uh, so uh, as we read uh, verses 5 and 6, it says, When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight, they were roused by a shout. Whew, a shout. <laughs> they were aroused by a shout. We all uh, became drowsy and fell asleep. And I, I wanted to tell so many stories about, like, you know, hunters that fell asleep. I like watching uh, uh, Meat Eater. I don't know if you guys ever watched that show, but he loves to tell the story of, of the of the time this moose walked out in him. He went on this long hunting trip and he had to hike and he got tired and he fell asleep and this moose walked out on him and he woke up and the moose was there, but he couldn't make any noise. He couldn't grab his gun. And I was thinking about, man, how many of us have fallen asleep? I love, I, if, if I had more time, I would tell you the story about the, the time I fell asleep and my wife woke me to a terrible scream coming from a situation with a cockroach, and I'll tell you about it another time. You know? uh, but it's awful when you become like like jarred awake when you're full asleep. I I sleep really hard, so when something awake wakes me up, I I am like freaked out, high alert, heart pounding, and all these things. But this story is talking about how it's important that you don't fall asleep, and not talking about like sleep. It's good to rest. Don't fall asleep on the things that mean the most to you. I remember uh, it was almost 20 years ago now. I was in college, and uh, it was Christmas break, and uh, another friend of mine didn't have a car. He said, hey, I'll let you borrow my car. You can drive home for Christmas break. So I drove 1,000 miles back home to Pennsylvania. And uh, I was on this car ride, and it was like 2 in the morning. You ever been there or heard this story? You know, may know where I'm going, but it's about 2 in the morning, and I'm following this semi-truck, and, and I'm doing my best to stay awake, and just start shutting down a little bit, you know, the eyes getting a little heavier and I'm not noticing it. And, uh, I'm just relaxing, singing songs and everything's good. And next thing you know it, I had nodded off just a little bit. And I had missed those little, those little, you know, shakes on the road. And I hit the patch of grass and my car went out of control and it was very sobering. I woke up, my car was spinning and spinning and spinning and it went down in an embankment of grass and up on this hill and I mean it stopped right before this patch of woods and I'll never forget I, I my heart is pounding and I looked over and there's a deer standing right next to my, my passenger side and uh, and I'm like and it was like just chilling like like <laughs> hey nice to see you my heart I can hear it in my you know what I'm talking about like what is happening? I was so scared. And I'm like, well, I'm wide awake now. Should I finish the drive? No, you should go get sleep now, you know. But this scripture is talking about how these, these virgins went to sleep and they were awakened to a shout. And that shout is that the bridegroom is here. And what's really unfair in, the, in our life is that, I don't know if you realize it or not, but that will be and should be the greatest moment of our life. I didn't think about it until this moment, but like me waking up to that deer, cool kind of moment in a weird, awkward way. But the greatest moment for us will be that when we shut our eyes and we wake up to glory. Man, I don't. I don't even really know how to define what heaven would look like or be like or how awesome it would be. But to see God face to face is going to be awesome for every single one of us. But that is the moment that we should be waiting for. But in this scenario, these people fell asleep. There's many passages in scripture that they would, the, the gospel would try to warn us 
to not grow weary in well-doing. This last week, me and my beautiful bride got to go to a marriage retreat. And so Brady stepped up and preached the gospel. Pretty awesome. And uh, I got to go hang out with my bride. And, uh, and it was crazy how many of the things I love my wife. She is the most important human on this planet to me. But as we were going through this, this marriage seminar, it was crazy to me how many of the values and things that I, I care about and I just missed priority. And I just think the enemy is so clever at getting us busy doing things that don't matter that sometimes you can fall asleep on the things that matter most to you. And Christ is saying in this story that there's a lot of people that are reserving themselves for the bridegroom, for Christ, 10 of them. And almost more than half of us are sleeping on what matters most. That terrifies me. I can't do nothing about the body of Christ anywhere else, but I can only imagine that Jesus would tell this story and similar stories like this over and over and over and over again because it matters to him as the bridegroom. Like he wants you more than anything. And he's like banging the drum. Will we wake up? Will we wake up? Will we wake up? Will we wake up? And some of us are spending all of our focus on our careers and not our children or not our spouse or not like the things that matter most. Don't be weary in well-doing. And I think sometimes... We're just exhausted. You know, in our heart, we love the Lord. But we ain't met with him. We've not talked with him. We've not opened his word. We've not like, hey, God, I need you in my life. Like, there's none of like real relationship going on. You're just kind of going through routine. Another week at church. Pastor Tim will help me get it right. No, you, you can only get you right. I'm just a preacher yelling at you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Loves you because I love you with all my heart. Like I have a burden for you that drives me crazy. Point number one, live pure. Point number two, stay alert. Point number three, out of this story of the 10 virgins, the 10 bridegrooms, uh, bridesmaids, um, is, is be prepared. Um, be prepared. And so I'll take a little commercial break and talk about the storm that's coming right now. Uh, I don't know how to like tell I know there's like, like a, a lot of you that have never lived in Florida before. This is like your first like go around with a hurricane. Let me just explain to you real quick. It ain't no joke. <laughs> uh, it's fun. Like there are hurricane parties and a lot of people may have a hurricane party and they're fun. Like it's cool until it's not cool. And um, so people are telling you right now. That like you should maybe be serious about some things. You should be prepared. What does that look like? Have oil, have gas, have water, have like plywood, have things like rice, fruit. When the shelves are gone, they're gone and there's no one else coming anytime soon. And a hurricane is a lot like a tornado that lasts like a long time. And uh, it's quite terrifying when your house is shaking for hours. Anyone, can I get an amen for Indians? Uh, and so, uh, but I will say that God is with you. And, uh, and, and we don't know when our number is going to get called, right? When the Lord's going to wake us up and say it's time to go. And if this is the storm, hey, I'm ready. I, I, my wife always gets mad at me when I, when I talk about it. I love, I, I'm, 
I want to be with Jesus. Like, I like you guys. Sunday morning is fun. I want to go. And if this is it, man, I'm ready. But I want you to know that, like, being prepared for a storm is important. And there is a storm that they're saying is coming. And you should be aware of it. And with that being said, um, if you are not prepared and you don't have the funds to be prepared, you need to know that your church is always with you. And if you find yourself, like, in a mobile home and the storm does get serious this week, like reach out to us. There are a lot of us that have spare bedrooms. I, I'm, I'm pointing at a lot of, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that we will take you into our homes and we will make sure that you're good. Uh, we, if you are out without resources afterwards and it does get bad, uh, your church will be there with you. We will make sure that you have food and you will, and if there are broken trees on your house, please know that after the storm, there are many manly men that um, we'll have chainsaws and we will be putting together a cruise and this kind of thing to help other folks out in our community. And so a lot of you won't have work if there is an actual legitimate storm, but we will be working. I'm telling you right now. And uh, it's real. And so, but we're in this together and this is a great way to minister to those that are going to be in a bad situation after the storm. So uh, if there is a storm, be prepared now. And uh, yeah, does that make sense? We'll communicate through Slack and through the app or through the text messaging, through the phone. Uh, if you have needs, we want to be there with you. But this uh, scenario in this story talks about how um, all 10 bridesmaids had oil. They all did not have a lot of oil or enough. And this is what terrifies me as someone who loves the Lord, because I don't know if you have enough oil. And some people laugh at it like it's kind of a joke, like Floridians. Uh, you've often heard this, me tell the story about like Hurricane Katrina and like how the, like, the Coast Guard would come through and tell people like, you need to get on the boat right now because it's going to get worse. And people died. But the reality is, is the gospel, what Jesus is saying is like this this is not like a storm he's talking about. This is the reality that you are human and you are only going to live so so long and you don't know when your number is going to get called. This week, I have a really close friend that I've been knowing for several years. He had two accidents happen to him this week. Um, and one of them, he was T-boned. Him and his whole family broke s several ribs, like seven ribs in his body. And like in a, he walked away. S son broke his hand. Like you don't know when the lights are going to go out. You don't know if this is the last time you go to sleep at night. And so I want to make sure that like we are ready to be with Christ because you don't get to plan your last day. So in this story, they ran out of oil and oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I don't know how much Holy Spirit you have in you, but if you're a believer, you do have the Holy Spirit. Like, but there are a lot of people that believe in Jesus and don't have relationship with him. The scripture says that even the demons in hell know that Jesus is Lord. So like great that you believe, commune with him. And so in this story, the oil symbols the Holy Spirit, but fire in the lantern would symbolize their passion for Jesus that the Holy Spirit can ignite. And I just wonder, like, how much passion for Jesus do you have? 
Some of you, I don't hear you talk about Jesus. We talk about fishing or sports or other things, but like Jesus is the Lord of the earth. And many of us are going to meet him. And a lot of people aren't ready. And our ability to quote stats. Uh, fire is our passion. This parable is significant because in this story, the, 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 vir, the, the virgins would say, uh, like, I have enough, but you don't have enough. And it sounds like they're being selfish, right? Like they're saying like, hey, um, you aren't going to have enough. I can't give you my all enough of my oil. You got to go buy your own. It kind of sounds like a jerk, really, if you ask me. But what they're saying is, I can't give you my Holy Spirit. I can pray for you. But like what happens so much in ministry or in counseling or trying to help people, you can never help people who won't help themselves. Like I know drug addicts and I have friends that need like their marriage is on the rocks. But like what they want is for you to tell them what to do, but they don't want to change. And you just can't help someone that isn't willing to do it themselves. And so in this scenario, they're like, yeah, I have oil. You go get some oil. And what we're saying is get with Jesus. He's telling you what to do. And if you're not yielded to the Holy Spirit, that flame ain't going to burn. It doesn't matter how many sermons you're in or how many church services you know or how many Bibles you have on your, on your nightstand next to your bed. Like, I'm glad you have them. Read them. Um, does that make sense? Like, yeah. like I, I, want, I, want, I do have the Holy Spirit on me and I do believe that if I pray for you, things can happen, but I can't put him in you if you aren't open. Amen. This is kind of the best part for me. So we don't know when he's returning and everything like that, but here at the end of it is, is really like, oh, like it's so hard for me to even read this out loud. So I'm going to try not to cry. Please understand why this means a lot to me is I love Jesus and I believe his words. And because he is a friend of mine, I believe that this is the most terrifying moment in the world for him. And it's absolutely heartbreaking for him to know that he can't help. Like I have, I've been, been friends with so many drug addicts that we have tried to convince. And like when you when you're healthy and you're trying to help someone who's not healthy, it doesn't matter how many times you say it or how convincing you try to be, they've got to do it. And Jesus is, right. I, I believe he's terrified with this story. He said later, the other five bridesmaids returned and they stood outside calling. Remember, the doors were shut. They're locked in verse 10. The other fives returned and they, and they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Now, this seems harsh to some people. They, like, I don't understand this, but like if heaven is a place that's pure and we live on this thing called earth where people don't want God and choose to live in their own righteousness, what do you think would happen to heaven the second we let people in that don't want to do what God wants to do for their life? Heaven is reserved for people that only want to do what he wants to do. And if you're in a scenario where you don't want to serve the Lord, I don't know how to tell you, but C.S. Lewis said it like this. Like, hell is not a place that people are sent to. Hell is a place that's barred from the inside. 
People that refused to open the doors to Jesus. And you have a scenario right now to say like, Lord, I want to let you into my life. But when we constantly refuse when he's knocking on our life, like, yeah, I know the Lord wants, I know the Lord has a plan for my life. And one day I'll probably be, you know, one, uh, one day, one day, one day. You don't understand he's coming quickly and you're not going to be ready. You get ready now. So this word, he says, um, Lord, Lord, open the door from us. And, but, but he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Let me just take a few minutes and explain this for a second. I don't know you. The word know comes from the word gnosho. And uh, it's, it's a Greek word uh, that, that, that means to know intimately. Okay? Hey, can I just talk to everyone that's been a Christian for 800 years in our church? Super cool that you grew up in Sunday school and you know the story of David and Goliath and you heard that Jesus died on the cross for you. That really means a lot to me. But it's not information. He wants to know you. And it starts like, like right now. Some of you can know God more right now than some people have known their whole life. Because some people don't want to yield to the Lord. They just want information. Knowing the Lord starts with me recognizing that, like, wow, you're, you're, you're big, I'm not. That's the first moment in my life where I realized that I wasn't as big of a deal as I thought I was. When I realized that he is God, and I'm not. And that revelation begins to remind me, oh, there's more wrong with me, actually, now that I'm looking at you, you're kind of holy and I'm kind of not. And that revelation begins to unwind a lot of things. Let me explain some things about this story. Depart from me for I don't know you. The reason why I think that he uses this, an illustration of a lantern or a lamp in this story with oil and fire is because at night, yes, that lantern would light their path. But you know what else it would do as you're looking, as, as, as you're trying to see, do I know you in the middle of the night? These old lanterns, now we've got these big old flashlights that when we turn a flashlight on, you can't see me. But a lantern did the opposite. See, when I was holding it, you were able to see me. Intimacy is interesting. Gnosho is the word that we're using to know God intimately. So I'm holding a lantern up. One of the hardest things about life is how much we're running from people knowing all of us. In this marriage conference we went to, uh, they talked a lot about SE uh, and, uh, and uh, how crazy this is for people to to be naked. We're all trying to cover ourselves. Even from people you've known forever. Like for some reason, I'm not comfortable with like, you know, unless you look like Brian Wilson over there. And I was like, <laughs> um, everyone like else like is, is um, <laughs> he's not in the room right now. So it's cool. Uh, uh, but listen, uh, oh, there he is. I hate you. We all hate you. Just so you know. Um, um, 
But everyone looks at themselves as if there's something wrong with them. The beauty of coming to the Lord and letting him see you is you recognizing, hey, Jesus, I have my lantern on. I want you to see me. I need you. And I want you. And I'm broken. I don't know if you know that you're broken. Everyone that loves you knows that you're broken. We just live in a world where, like, not being perfect is, like, looked down upon. But it's really the broken things about you that makes you beautiful. And that's what's so crazy about the love of God is that he likes you as you are. And the only way that you can actually be changed is not by being a better person or like fixing these things or, or working out more. Because you can make more money and you can, you can lose more weight and you can build more muscles. But even as Brian Wilson, uh, there's still insecurities hiding inside you. And the only thing that fixes is him. So when I think about nakedness, like Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 would say this. For the word of God is alive and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Watch this, 13. But nothing in all creation is hidden from God, for everything is naked and exposes before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are all accountable. I love that I can't hide me, but I love that I don't have to hide me from the Lord. And what's really wonderful is as I begin to reveal myself to God and I realize his love for me, I'm knowing him as a healer, as a lover, as a comforter, as a covering, as a beauty. And what it's actually doing is it's cleansing me in a way and strengthening me in a way that I'm not afraid to reveal myself to my wife or my children or my church or my friend. I don't have anything to hide. I showed who I am to the Lord and he loves me. I ain't afraid of your opinion about me. Amen. I joke about all the things that I'm terrible at all the time. Why? Because I don't care what you think about me. I know how he feels about me. So your opinion means to me. You know what I mean? Like, this is who I am. I'm, I'm an idiot. I know it. He loves this idiot. And he's anointed me. And he's given me wisdom. That's the crazy thing. Is I can be a fool and be wise at the same time in his kingdom. It's powerful. This is how I'm going to try to wrap this up. Jesus didn't just say, depart from me for I never knew you here. He would say it again and again and again. There's another time he, 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 he'd say this. Uh, they, he, he said, uh, in the last, there's, there's wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to the Lord. And many will call to me on that day. Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we, didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we do all these things in your name? He said, but I don't know you. Church, thank you for coming. Thank you for being a community. The most important thing that we can do today is make sure that we're prepared not for a hurricane. Be ready for a hurricane. Let's pretend this hurricane's the worst thing that's ever happened. This is a tropical 15. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just, you know, it's not doesn't exist, I don't think. But are you ready? Like if today he called your number, if you got out in this parking lot and got T-boned and you went to, like the lights went out, like, like, God, I need you. 
God, I'm broken. God, I'm scared. God, I'm jacked up. God, I need you. And the more I see how wonderful and wise and strong he is, the more I realize I'm not. And then his love for me makes me strong. And it builds me up in a way where I don't have to hide anything. And insecurities and fears, they cower away in, in his glorious light. Would y'all mind bowing your heads and close your eyes for a minute? This scenario of uh, be ready. The middle of the night, the people started shouting that he's here, he's coming. I, I remember a day, I haven't told this story in our church maybe ever. This has happened a few times, but one time that was very dear to me, there was a gentleman that came to our church for the very first time. And uh, he, he asked Christ to come into his heart. And that week he came to our church and he helped. We, we were building stuff and making things better. And he came and he was talking about how he was reading his Bible all week long. And he gave a car away and he's doing cool things. Like hey, all he wants is God to move in his life. And he's so excited. Within three days. And the very next day, he died. He accepted Christ as his savior and just a couple days later he died. And I don't believe that there is anything more urgent or important in all of life than knowing that you're ready to meet him. And we don't get ready to meet him in a week or two weeks or later. We meet him today and it prepares us for the day he calls our number because we enter into a relationship with him where we know God and he knows us. Yeah. And so Jesus would say this in the book of Revelation, behold, I stand at your door and I knock. And if you open that door, I will come in. But God is a gentleman and he's not gonna enforce himself on you. He's gonna let you choose him. The Holy Spirit is here right now. And I believe that God's moving on your heart. And he's trying to get you to soften you so that he'd, you'd be ready to be with him. Lord loves you just as you are.